0: I thought it would be fitting this evening for us to uh, focus our thoughts for a while on the journey that Christ made to the cross of Calvary. In a couple of weeks' time, it's going to become the centre of our uh, worship and the centre of our thoughts um, as Easter time approaches us. So... uh, sort of an overview generally and preparation perhaps for um, our thoughts as we approach Easter. And of course it's very precious ground, isn't it, thinking about Calvary, thinking about our Lord Jesus Christ travelling that road. So today I thought that uh, we should consider uh, some of the content of these verses, And all the intimate insight there is into the relationship that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has with his Father. And how that all comes about. And it will just unfold, hopefully, as we um, just walk through um, this evening. We're given a glimpse here of the need of Jesus to commune with his father, to speak with him. And uh, that conversation, you know, was for our good, as well as for uh, Jesus' own uh, refreshment and relationship. So Jesus turns aside, and we're going to come to that in a few minutes, to this place that was well known to him. He's come, There for the purpose of pouring out his heart to his Father who is in heaven. So I want us to think uh, of, of three things as we sort of go through this. And I've called it the road to Calvary. The first thing I want us to look at is that there is a path that leads to Calvary. Now, I'm telling country folk things that they know, but uh, most people know that paths usually start somewhere and they usually end up somewhere else. Um, um, And, of course, you can go from John O'Groats to Land's End and you can can traverse all the roads that lead um, on that journey. Um, And that's about 1,400 kilometres. But equally, if you're more... um, robust and adventurous. You could do the Pan American um, Highway, which goes from Alaska to Argentina, 48,000 miles. And that would take you three months um, if you drove almost continuously um, down that. So there are many in the world, there are many long roads. But the one thing they all have common is that they start somewhere and they end somewhere. And you know, for Christ, it is no different. There is a path that led to Calvary, but it started somewhere. And in Philippians, we read that, don't we? In verses, chapter 2, verses 5, it's crystallised for us. um, In these few verses, verses 5 to 11, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those in the earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father we have heaven where Jesus dwelt and we have at the end of the journey heaven where Jesus is now that was his journey he was going to go from heaven to earth and back to heaven and that's what our bible tells us about and this journey was necessary for Christ to take because in his commentary Wayne Gruden tells us of a covenant of redemption a covenant of redemption which was a plan made between the members of the Holy Trinity, to put in place a way for sinful men and women to be reconciled and brought back into friendship and relationship with the Holy God. And we all know, I hear this evening, I'm sure, we all know that because of the fall, it necessitated God doing something to redeem a people. Part of the promises that were made concerning Jesus' son and his agreement and willingness to travel a path from heaven, becoming a man, a real human, and through to what us seems perhaps a a sort of like a winding pathway to his death, you know to Jesus it was a direct route he came down in order to do what he did at Calvary to achieve what his father promised to be that perfect sacrifice for sin and we read some of that in Philippians he was born into our humanity and we read elsewhere in the scriptures in Luke chapter 2 onwards that he was always about doing his father's business. But we are aware that when we read uh, other passages, that he was doing his father's business according to his father's timetable. So there were times when his journey, people would think that he would reach some destination He told us that 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 time's not yet. My hour has not yet come. How many times did he say that? He said it a number of times through John's Gospel. He knew that there was a time ahead, as we read in John 12, when the Son of Man would be glorified. There was going to come a time when he reached that point that God had appointed, where he would bear the anger and the wrath of God upon himself. But you know this path, when he left heaven and he came to this earth and he was born uh, as a human, childhood, he grew up, and you remember when he was in the temple when he was 12 and his parents went off and thought he was in the crowd, and then when they came back and eventually they found him, He said, didn't you know I should be about my father's will? And he didn't mean being the carpenter of Nazareth. And eventually we know that he grew up and he entered into public ministry. All this is part of the path that was going to lead to Calvary. It wasn't incidental. It wasn't just sort of like a byproduct. It was part of the path that he was walking. And we get to this point where, just before we reach the visit to this Garden of Gethsemane, he informs his disciples in Luke 22, we read this that the things concerning me have an end. There's going to come a point when. The journey that I'm on on earth is going to come to an end. And he was going to go and agonize on the cross of Calvary for the sins and the salvation of many. So, although this path seems to have its ups and downs, and you know, you think, well, what was Jesus doing being. A carpenter, you know, he came to save people. So, what was he doing, uh, being the, known as the carpenter of, of of Nazareth? What was he What was he up to? But it becomes clearer as we read, and we're told that throughout this ministry, that he went into healing, preaching, teaching. On two occasions we read that he sets his face. It's like he's got Satnav turned on. He's got his focus. Like a flint, it says, a determined gaze. He knows where he's going. He's determined. And yet has time to share, to preach. So he's got these things going on in his life. We don't often think about Jesus, do we? Having meals and meeting people and talking to people, you know. But he had a focus, he'd made promises in the eternity with the Trinity of the things that he was willing to do. So we come to this garden. He's had the Lord's Supper with his disciples. Judas has gone off to betray him. And he comes to this garden. The cross is looming. And where does Jesus retreat to? For a few precious moments as he prepares himself. the next stage of his journey there's perhaps a bit of application there for us in terms of our lives we look to the future lots of uncertainty we don't know what the future holds for us do we but where do we look where do we go to prepare ourselves for the future Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. He went to commune with his father. And perhaps on our journeys of life, and we all know, don't we, the last year has been quite a journey, up and down. Are we going to church, are we not? You know, Can I go to work, can't I? How do I sort this out or not? But we need to have somewhere where we can go to talk these things over. And just as Jesus went to his Father, we too can go to our our Father, the Lord our God. Jesus has given us an example of a life lived in this narrow way. You know, the in Matthew 7, they talk about, in, don't you, uh, on the Sermon of the Mount, we're told about the narrow way and the broad way. Jesus walked the narrow way. And it wasn't an easy road that Jesus walked. But now as he looks to the cross, he's going to spend a few precious moments with his father, that we do well probably to think about. Maybe we don't spend as much time with God as we should. Maybe we don't look to him for the things that are important in life for the future. But Jesus, he's come to this point where he knows there's no turning back. Jesus is now, so the second uh, part of this is, there is a a path to Calvary, but there's also a preparation for Calvary. Jesus is now entering a place that he knew well. He was accustomed to going there for quiet, to pray. And we're told that three disciples went with him, that's what we read in the passage. But mostly they were asleep. They slept most of the time that they were there with him. Now, many references in the Bible to gardens declare them to be places of beauty, growth, splendour in their colour. And we know that um, the Garden of Gethsemane was an olive orchard uh, by the brook Kidron. But if we look um, in different books, you can look at these when you get home in the Song Song of Songs, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they uh, do mention quite a number of times gardens and often speak of the beautiful garden of creation where God uh, dwelt and where he walked in the cool of the day. I love this part of um, the Garden of Eden that um, God dwelt there and he walked there in the cool of the day with his creation. Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the day. That must have been a particularly spectacular place to live. But this garden, Gethsemane, at this time was to be for Jesus a time of agony and struggle. The intensity of his prayer was such during his communion with his father that we're told he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood from his forehead. Jesus was not devoid of human emotions. He was truly man, as well as being truly God. We often read of him groaning, sighing, saddened, weeping, And in this passage we share just a few minute, a small minute sample of what was said. And that does not begin to open up to us the content of the rest. We don't know everything that Jesus said. We've just got a a sample of that. But it's there to give us some insight into the, the agony as he Uh, thought of the cross but we need to be clear on this that Christ knows Christ knew the need for his sacrifice on the cross for sin he has known it from the beginning he is the only perfect sacrifice acceptable to his father to pay that price he has made a promise to his father To complete what he has come to do. We need to be very clear about that. In John 4 he says my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus knew what he was on this earth to do. John 5 just an excerpt when he was talking to the woman at the well after he'd spoken Uh, to the disciples he said most assuredly I say to you the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do father and son he can only do what his father uh, does and then in John 14 but that the world may know that I love the father and as the father gave me commandment so I do we read this And then he says, arise and let us go from here. And so to the scene in the garden. Jesus lets us know here in the garden that it is the Father's will, it is the Father's plan that is held dear. That is the closest thing to his heart. It is above all things because it reflects his part In the covenant agreed before. In the realms of heaven that a redeemer is sent and willing to die for the people who will be called and given to the Son. All Jesus can do, all he wants to do, his greatest desire, is to obey the will of his Father. And that's why he says, doesn't he, oh my Father, If this cup cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. To obey is for Christ all things. It summarises everything. Christ's example to us here it's that he prays and it is a necessary part for those who walk this narrow path. But difficulties will come. But we who know God must come and bring our deep groanings to God just as Jesus did. It's an application thing. It's the way we live our lives. For he will hear. But the centre of it all is the obedience Christ was obedient even to the death of the cross and in his preparations for Calvary he comes and he lays himself before his father and we don't know the details of everything that was said but from what is said what was fundamental what was at the centre of it all was that God's will would be done. And that covenant of redemption would be continued through. So the road leads to Gethsemane and it leads through Gethsemane. Gethsemane was part of his journey to the cross. It wasn't a a sidestep. You know, it wasn't a detour. He didn't think just one day Well, I think I'll go in there. It was part of his plan that we might be encouraged. Jesus sets before us the fact that prayer is necessary in the life of believers. Prayer is necessary when things get tough, when we're not sure what the future holds, because we are not God. After prayer comes obedience to the word. And how can we pray and then live for ourselves? It's a question I keep asking myself. I don't know whether you ask yourself that. Why do I pray for God and then just go and do, do something else? Christ came to the garden in order to prepare himself through prayer, through the agony through the reassurance from his father. But what he's written down is what encourages us to know that Christ was all about his father's will. It was always about that. He wants us to know that he had his face focused on Calvary. He had his face focused on being obedient And hanging on that cross and giving of himself in order that men and women and boys and girls might be able to have relationship with him. And that brings us to a third uh, point, which is that there is a road to Calvary. And that road led to the preparation for Calvary in uh, Gethsemane. But there is a, a path beyond Calvary, following the garden, and as he was speaking, the betrayer comes, and the remainder of his journey is cast as far as humanity thinks. He's arrested and treated They're badly and mocked and scorned and taken to that hill outside the city walls. And there he hangs on the cross. Jesus had prayed that God's will would be done. And on that cross, his will is done. The Father sent the Son To be the Saviour of the world. We read that in 1 John 4, and that's what he did as he hung there on that cross of Calvary. The reminder here demonstrates that the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, is at work. In so doing, the Son can see and knows what the Father is doing, and he knows that beyond Calvary, a once and for all redemption will be available. There is no need for the continual sacrifices of the Old Testament in order to appease the wrath of God so often seen in the life of the children of Israel. And we, we know that the New Testament talks to us of those who are redeemed, the redemption, those chosen, predestined to be saved. And the thing is, we don't know who those are. So there is a call to all to be saved, isn't there? We send out a call that if anyone turns from their sin, but God knows who will come. We only see the results of his gracious work. We are here as a result of God's work. But we're also here as a result of somebody sharing that precious truth with us. They didn't know whether we were going to be saved or not. We probably didn't know anything about it. But God did. We only see the results of his work. Those who believe will have the work of the cross applied in their hearts. The blood that is shed on the cross is enough to cover all the sins and sinners. It covers them all. that it is applied to so they are washed clean and become acceptable to a holy and pure God that's what's beyond the cross it took the cross Christ dying and rising again in order that we might be washed clean We read those words in Isaiah, don't we? Wash yourself and make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend. We are to be clean. Come now, let us reason together. Says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as wool. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. This makes Calvary a sorrowful sight to the casual observer. If anybody just glances up at a cross with a man dying on it, they might think, this is a sad place to be. But Calvary, you know, is a place of triumph. A place of victory. Because they're the son of God defeats emphatically the evil one. Finally, absolutely, it is a place of transition where the sinner can find solace, where he can find peace, where he can find forgiveness. I've been listening to some sermons on um, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Um, You might find that there funny thing to do sermons on but uh, it's been very, very enlightening very encouraging the way in which it's been uh, applied to the life of believers those who are journeying from life, from death to life but you know that great part where Bunyan comes or Christian comes to the cross And he comes to become a believer. He trusts in the shed blood and that uh, pack on his back rolls off into the sepulchre. That burden gone, dealt with by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Salvation for sinners, a way for the lost to be reconciled. A real life changing invitation uh, will be available to all those. To all those who put their trust in him. Who call upon him. That is the path beyond Calvary. We live in that time, don't we? Calvary is in our past. But that road is still travelled. I love this verse in Ezekiel 33. Some of you will know it probably quite well. Where God says this, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? God's heart goes out. A cross. Sin has been dealt with on the cross of Calvary. And the Bible speaks to us. And asks us. Why will we die? Why do we choose to die? When we can live? Because there's a way to live. Because Christ came and journeyed upon that road to Calvary. He went to Gethsemane. He prayed. He went to Calvary. But he saw beyond Calvary. That's what Romans 12, verse, um, Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, doesn't it? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He endured the cross with joy. There's joy connected to it. Why is that? Because he could see beyond. He could see what his death was going to achieve. That Calvary wasn't the end. It was actually the beginning for many people. Because they come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what has been done at Calvary. The triune God knows. And when Jesus, the Son, speaks with his Father in that garden, deep in agonizing prayer, knowing what his death was to achieve, maybe his human strength was challenged. We don't know, really. He did sweat, deep um, uh, blood uh, came out of his uh, forehead. But what it did was, it enabled him to complete that covenant of redemption, that promise to come and die on the cross for sinners, to redeem a people for himself. I wonder if you, in your heart, can join up those dots seeing that this path to Calvary and beyond is not the response of a desperate, a random thought, an act by God, but a carefully laid out act of love from God to redeem a rebellious people and bring them back into fellowship and friendship with himself at the cost of the death of his only begotten Son, God did so love the world, didn't he? John 3.16, that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I wonder if you would give up your son for your enemy. God did. That is how much he loves. Will you not consider this saviour this evening? to walk the path to make salvation yours if only you will trust him and believe that he is and is the rewarder of those who seek him earnestly. Christ's journey through Gethsemane and then his continued journey to the cross is a beautiful illustration for us tonight of the Son of God's sacrifice for sinners. Will you not respond from your heart and turn to him, and if you are his, still turn to him and thank him that he called you out of darkness into light. May God bless these few thoughts Um, to our minds and our hearts this evening, let's pray our gracious Father we do thank you for our saviour the Lord Jesus Christ we thank you that he left the glories of heaven and we thank you that he uh, made this journey through uh, this world in order that he might Uh, Go to that cross and there redeem a people unto himself. And we pray now that, and we thank you now that it didn't end there. But our Saviour is now sat at the right hand of God, mediating on our behalf. And we pray that all those who trust in him might know this assurance in their hearts. And we do pray again that if there are any here this evening who uh, do not uh, know you, who do not trust in you for their eternal salvation, that they might uh, meditate upon uh, this truth, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and it might do a wonderful work of change in their hearts that they might be named among the children of God. So we do thank you again for our time together, and bless us now, and we ask these things in thy precious name. Amen.